Hello, and welcome to Eclipse, a Heroes podcast. I'm Rachel, and I'm going to send it over to Keisha, who's going to tell you what we are all about. Basically, my idea in doing this podcast is I felt that because people are so radio silent about this show that many people forget was very, very popular and very successful and very lauded in the beginning. I wanted to go back and re-examine the show through the lens of perspective and time having passed and see if I felt the same way that I felt about it in my passionate fangirl days in which I could declare that the show never did any wrong, which I don't think I'm still going to feel that way. But I wanted to go in, re-examine it, look at its place in the culture, and not only try to defend it more, but also prove that it deserves to be talked about again and that we don't need to ignore it, even if it did some things that not everybody liked. Plenty of genre shows do that, and I think it's bullshit that the show is being singled out and ignored for committing a lot of sins that plenty of other shows still do and uh, we still talk about. I think that was a perfect intro, honestly. I could probably do it in a more fun-sounding way, too. True, <laughs> very true, like, very true. Like, hey, assholes, like, you know, like, ugh. I want to re-experience the show now that I'm not actively involved in its um, very passionate and diverse and polarizing fandom to see how I feel about it, to see what the legacy of the show should be, and to try to argue that more people should do the same. They should take a look at the show again. They should consider what it was, what it could be, flaws and all, because we do it with other things. And it's it's so weird to me that this show just gets swept under the rug as hard as it does, considering there are so many, th- and I'll, I'll name names, I'll name examples of shows that drop the ball, and yet we still talk about them. And we talk about them the way they're going, oh, but they did drop the ball, but that's okay. Nobody talks about heroes like that. They just go, nope, they dropped the ball, they fucked it up, garbage show. And that's not true. And I want to go back through and I want to prove that it's not true. And in both worlds, in the worlds of prestige, quote-unquote television or popular television and in the realm of genre television which the thing that i think angers me the most is that when people have these conversations about like best uh, sci-fi show best superhero show what have you they go out of their way not to mention this show and it's ridiculous because the show had a huge impact and you wouldn't have a lot of the shows that you have today that you love so much if they hadn't have taken all those bullets for you because you just think about like the DC shows on um, the CW. And yeah, there is a, you know, an argument to be made that Smallville was the standard bearer, I guess, with that. And while that's true, I don't think you'd have quite so many of them and as you would have if Heroes hadn't existed and had such a successful season one. Let's just talk about season one all by itself. You know, let's, let's just forget about all the things that people felt about it later on and all of the mistakes that they might have made later on. Season one was huge. Season one was huge. They had millions of viewers. They had an incredible demo rating. They got all the award nominations. They were on all the magazine covers. And now we just act like it doesn't exist. And I think that's insane. With season one as well, I personally was very insulated. I was not, did not seek out the fandom during season one. It was after season one. Well, it was the hiatus. We, yes. we all found each other in the hiatus. Yes. Um, Going on to, like, Knife Wonders and all that stuff. Yeah, but we cared enough about the show, and so many people cared enough about the show, to create this thriving online community between seasons. 
Uh, not a lot of shows can say that. Uh, but we still cared enough about these characters and their situation and the cliffhangers that we did get that we ended up forming a very vibrant online community that lasted throughout the show based solely on what we were given in season one. And I think that that shows the strength of the series, at least at the start, in a very like broad appeal kind of way. Because you'd get people who didn't normally watch this kind of television. That was the whole point of the show, is it was trying to have all these genre elements without being considered just another comic book entity. And they really played into that a lot in season one as well. Yeah, because it got someone like me who like doesn't actively try and seek out that kind of fandom thing to be like, I need to go find somewhere to talk about this. So I'm not like just rattling on whoever will listen about it. Then they're just like, okay, shut up. Same here. Yeah, that, that was a big part of it. It was, I was like, I, I, need to, <laughs> I need to talk about this show, which I know that lots of shows inspire that level of passion in people. But this was a really just on paper, you can prove it popular show it's a lot easier now to just throw a dart and start talking about whatever with social media oh so much easier i'd never been on uh i'd never joined a message board in my life the way that i did when heroes was a thing yeah like you said um this uh people forget this show was around before twitter um it started before twitter it started before tumblr it started i mean you had to talk about the, the thing on facebook for crying out loud, if you really... I think that might have been how I start. Well, <laughs> uh, Facebook and MySpace, kids. MySpace. Um, <laughs> it had it had a MySpace presence. Um, yeah, there, there weren't these very interesting avenues where you could really engage in something with lots of people at the same time. And I think the show really suffered for that. Um, it makes me really sad that they couldn't have existed in a time when those uh, avenues existed in social media because I think it would have been really good for it and I think that I don't know I don't I don't know if it would have been saved because it's not like people didn't try when it did get canceled it would have been interesting if it had that base from the start to to grow with and uh, it wasn't just the people who found themselves actively seeking it out it was more something that they could stumble into without having to do all this extra work yeah I don't know we'll never know We'll never know. Twitter was around. It was in its infancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Heroes started, but, like, the Heroes fandom on Twitter didn't really get going until season three, I want to say? I'd, I'd say sometime in season three. I, I remember talking to people a lot during season three episodes. Like, um, mid-season three, maybe. Because that was when, like, because Bria Grant was on Twitter. Yeah. And well, then she yeah. pulled Grunberg into mm-hmm. Twitter. And then it all, and like, then... spiraled from there. Yeah, and all the like behind the scenes people you could follow, which was really fun and a really fun part of it. Um, yeah, so basically we just want to go through and sort of re-experience the show again um, over a decade later and see how it feels to us as really active members of the fandom. But then just also maybe we'll be a little uh, a little more willing to see the flaws that people talked about. But also maybe we'll find some things that we really, really love that we didn't the first time around. That's the fun of doing a rewatch is these things hit you differently. That's what I'm curious about to see what I'm looking at now and be like, oh, at the time I hated this. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, you know what? I was a little harsh back then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you and I especially can fully admit we had our favorite characters and if they weren't talking, it was like, uh-huh, yeah, shut up. Yes, we had favorite characters for sure. And I think that a lot of people in the fandom got that way. Uh, yes. 
and it didn't really help the show. Um, but, you know, I think it's good to admit that. So, uh, yeah. Um, all right. Rachel, when did you first hear about Heroes and how? Oh, my God. I've been trying to think about this for a while. Yes, so have I. I must have seen an ad somewhere. I can't think of, like, a specific person that, like, mm -hmm. pulled me in to it. There wasn't, like, oh, I loved X, Y, and Z, and so that's why I watched. It fell in that genre stuff that I enjoyed. Like, I watched Lost, and I'm sure it was being, like, this could be the next Lost. So it was like, oh, I'm down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's watch this genre show. They really tried to paint it that way. I remember that, yeah. We were looking at what came out in that same year, and I'm mm -hmm. at what other shows would have offered that up in the same way, and I'm pretty much... It was just Heroes. Yeah. Like, if you were a fan of Lost, you at least would go check out Heroes to see what, what was up there. I think that they benefited a lot from that. Not only being on a major network, which at the time, believe it or not, guaranteed a larger presence. Um, but also, yeah, just being able to be the only genre kid in school. Because this, <laughs> this list doesn't have very much on it, especially in the uh, major networks. I don't remember the first but i did see a lot of ads i had an entertainment weekly subscription at the time and they had a lot of advertisements in that magazine and it was the blue and black image that you see with the heads i would see on things um with the heads of all the main characters yeah i would see that uh, uh that artwork in a lot of things and then i like i said i had an ew subscription so they would do like a you know new tv episode or issue rather every year and it would be like okay this is what i'm gonna watch because i was really into tv and i liked watching all kinds of things watched lost thank you but i was just like okay cool this sounds awesome i like superheroes this sounds like x-men on television and i was into it because i've just always been into those types of stories so i was like cool the funny thing is i didn't actually end up watching it the first time it aired i recorded it and watched it really once. yeah i recorded it on uh on my vhs in the other room and i watched 24 live because i was a 24 person i just had to see what <laughs> jack bauer was up to stopping those you know awful people or whatever this week i was really into that show uh so i yeah i didn't even watch it live i just recorded it and i was like oh, i'll watch this later why not it's nice to have an option but uh the thing that brought me into it other than the advertisements uh greg grunberg was on it and I liked him a lot from when he was on Alias. And I was like, cool, I liked that guy on Alias quite a bit. And he's the only person I really recognize in this cast. Because I, I didn't watch Gilmore Girls or anything. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, it's got, it's got Greg Grunberg in it. I like him. He's a fun actor. I'll give this show a shot. Why not? And that's how it started for me, was recording it in the other room while watching 24 Live. I had no idea you didn't watch it live the yeah. first time. No, 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 no. I recorded it. But yeah, I do remember you talking about how much you like 24, so yeah, that does make sense. Well, you know, it was a very urgent show, and um, <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland's not bad to look at. There, there's your answer. Fair, fair. Yeah. You know, little did I know that liking 24 would, would give me my first exposure to somebody who would pop up later on Heroes in a big way, but we'll get there. Very true. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that, but yeah, very true. How could you? <clears throat> Adam Kaufman at CTU. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you'd like to forget it. Yeah, that's uh, that's my intro to the show, at least with the first episode. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get to, you know, how the fandom becomes a big part of this, because right now it's just you and me watching it separately and going, cool, 
On her own little bubble at the time. Yeah, yeah. Just didn't even think about reaching out to people until later. Yeah, so anyway, um, first episode of the show is called Genesis. Because they like epic titles. It's their whole thing. Um, <laughs> it's their whole thing. The way season one presents itself is uh, is real fun. And you see that in so much in the first episode. So much of them just being like, okay, um, they have superpowers. Uh, they could do stuff that people can't do. But don't worry, guys. This isn't a nerd show, okay? This is like, this is a drama. This is a drama, and uh, it will be taken seriously. And that's just all there, that's all there is to it. So I, I don't want you to, to, to think about us in those dismissive terms. You know, this isn't, this isn't Smallville. This isn't, you know, Buffy, I guess, to a degree. This is a serious show with real people going through this incredible thing. And we're going to be super pretentious about it for at least half of the first season. That was how that was that was really how it reads watching it again because <laughs> it's like man with the voiceover and the opening scroll and just the whole real real tiny glimpses of the actual superpowers or anything like yeah like you wanted us to invest in them as people and as characters and I understand that and you know you want to have them their powers and what they are be a surprise and not in your face. But uh, I, I just I just think it's really funny that that's how they presented themselves a lot in that first episode to just try to get people who would never watch you know some stupid superhero show. Believe it or not, people uh, superheroes were not a big thing in two thousand six. Iron Man hadn't come out yet, so <laughs> Iron Man came out in two thousand eight. Yes, it did. I know it seems really obvious now, but uh, it re- it really wasn't then. Uh, there wasn't a lot of TV shows like this on major networks. You'd always find things like this on cable and what have you, but that's just always where they lived. For a major network to put all this money and time and promotion into a show like this was a big deal. It was a lot more niche. Yes. A lot more niche yeah. at the time. Um, but yeah, so where, where would you like to begin in talking about this this here episode? You want to, let's talk about the characters? Yeah, let's talk about uh, maybe like the first character that we run into. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. actually here, which is Mohinder Suresh. Doctor. Doctor Mohinder Suresh. He's a doctor. Dr. Mohinder Suresh. <laughs> My apologies. Apologize to him, not to me. Yeah, Dr. Mohinder Suresh. All right. He is our gateway into not just this world, but how a lot of the season's going to be framed. The language that we're going to be using when we talk about these characters and this phenomenon. What do you think, having seen this again now, just through the episode, what are your thoughts about Mohinder and his introduction as a character and as a device in many ways to get this thing going? I can't talk about Pilot Mohinder without addressing (laughs) his original accent, which Mm -hmm. was very quickly changed in the second episode. Mm -hmm. He has a more heavily Indian accent than he does for the rest of the series. It really sticks out. <laughs> and it again, yes, after you watch it, like the whole series, and come back, you're like, I forgot that it was like this in the pilot. Me too. <laughs> and I was immediately reminded. I was like, oh, oh, I'm glad that they decided to lay off on that because that would have been. I mean, yeah, he he fell into it more as the you know season and series went on. So, um, but yeah, so we begin the episode with uh, Mohinder Suresh, Doctor Mohinder Suresh. Be accurate too. Teaching a classroom of students in India about the phenomenon that may or may not be happening with uh, 
genetic evolution in human beings. And we find out that not only is this something that he is pursuing, but it was something that his father did a lot of work in. His father will become very important as this goes on. Extremely important. <laughs> a lot a lot of a lot of things happen around around Chandra Suresh and his actions and their consequences. But we're not there yet. Right now we just we meet Mohinder and he's talking about cockroaches and people flying and everybody in the class is looking at him like he's a little crazy and uh that's justified (laughs) it's maybe maybe not the best place to do that yeah so he's he's having his whole little first thing we don't learn too much about him we just learn yeah you know like he's he's from india um he's teaching right now uh people are getting kind of tired of hearing him talk about these crazy things from what his friend says nirad and that his father too kind of fell out of you know favor academically because of those crazy things that obviously can't be true and he ends up going on a journey to new york city which is where a lot of action takes place in season one but what did you think when you watched mohinder the first time and now it's not fair to talk about mohinder in the first episode without talking about the other character that he runs into immediately okay which is the horned rim glasses aka hrg because that is his whole reason for going Mm -hmm. to new york is like why did someone toss my father's apartment here yep why is there this guy here taking pictures and talking on the phone okay maybe my father wasn't as crazy as i even Mm-hmm. thought so like because of him being intertwined with that and later another character as well he runs into Mohinder is very much one of the mainstays of the series well he just he's such a fun way to bring in other characters into the main stories and he can branch out to anyone really. yeah exactly exactly because of his whole thing he's like one of the least insulated of the characters he doesn't have like you know a home group like with Claire later on or the Petrelli family. No, Mohinder has the ability to go from group to group, person to person. And that leaves a lot of room for fun interactions with heroes and villains both. But so much of what Mohinder does is so attached to later promotion for the television show that he is automatically an important character, whether you, what, no matter how you feel about him. He drives a lot of action. But yeah, okay, let's talk about let's talk about this mystery man a little bit more in relation to how you felt when you first saw him or, you know, what have you. Uh, I, I love the mystery man. I love the fact that he didn't have a name at all through the first episode and actually throughout the first season um, until the end. Uh, I just, I don't know. I liked, I liked this whole vibe. The guy they got to play him was immediately charismatic, which is very difficult in a role where you're uh, a cipher of, of, a, of a mystery organization basically but he instantly made you want to learn more about him little jack coleman because you said that uh he was one of your your things that really stuck with you and you watched you were like oh this guy this guy I one of the reasons yeah that mm-hmm. you that i was like okay i'm gonna come back for episode two what was that like, i want to learn more you just want to learn more i just wanted to learn more like okay it was intriguing enough where it was like i need to learn more mm-hmm. about what's going on here and his whole like connection with Mohinder and Mohinder's father. Like what is happening mm-hmm. here? Who do you work for? <laughs> <laughs> Cause I mean, yeah, that's the whole interesting mystery that gets set up pretty early on is, you know, the, like you were saying the whole thing about how like Chandra might've been right. And uh, Mohinder is going to get wrapped up in this thing. That's going to be a lot bigger than him. And lots of other people um, might have knowledge of, uh, the state of evolution 
becoming something else in humans. Because you have to, I mean, they're establishing him as a bad guy, like, right away. 100%. He, ch- he changes throughout the, throughout the series. Um, and smartly, I think, due to his connection to other people. Which, let's just segue right away into that. What do we think seeing her again about the cheerleader who i guess if we save her we save the world that's a thing we don't know that yet <laughs> didn't they advertise that though didn't they i don't think I the like save the did. cheerleader no Was i don't that think that, that came yes okay yeah so claire bennett by all appearances a completely average high school student um popular cheerleader pretty has a secret that she she can't be hurt she heals and she and her friend Zach are going through and documenting this fact. We don't know why. Uh, she never, she's kind of vague about it. But I, it's funny, like, um, watching it again, and, and we talked about this after, too. Hayden really does, Hayden Panettiere really does such a great job of being, like, a gloomy teenager whose whole life, capital L life, is over now that she's different. And again, um, this is before social media, that they're yeah. out filming this. Imagine. Could you imagine? Yeah. The phones that they use are flip phones. They have cameras on them. They're just terrible. So Zach's really sitting there with the DV, like, recording on, like, a handheld camera. Which is which is fun, because that's the kind of, um, I guess, analog storytelling that you don't get a lot of nowadays. Uh, because now it's like, ooh, the tapes exist. Who's going to see the tapes? Oh, these these things that are going to expose her secret. Oh, they, you know, who, who will get a hold of them? What will happen? It, it's just fun to have that like physical element to it instead of just like, Oh, don't accidentally send that to your Twitter, you know, like on your phone, like, whoops, the know. cloud posted it's, it. Yeah. Right. Well, it's in the cloud now. I can't get it out. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, Claire Bennett, um, we see her not only go about running these little experiments on herself, but she also, is a character who uses what she can do to save someone else, thus becoming a hero, like the name of the show. Yeah, so what, what do we think about, about Claire Bennett, about Texas, about her family later on? Oh, that the, the reveal that <laughs> uh, she is, in fact, the daughter of Mr. Horndrum Glasses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This guy who's got something to do with the research involving people with powers. His daughter has one. So instant conflict immediately set up. And uh, one of the best things about the episode totally gets you want to want to tune in next week for sure. Yeah, that's one of the like three or four moments in the episode that are like, oh, shit, this is why I have which, to come back. Which on the version. OK, uh, disclaimer, Rachel and I watched two different versions of the pilot. <laughs> um, the one she watched was on a streaming service. And they cut out a bunch of stuff. And the one I watched, we still can't quite figure out which version it was. Um, it wasn't the director's cut because the director's cut has another character in it who doesn't get introed until episode two. And it was just it was just the version that's on the Blu-rays. If you have the Blu-rays and you want to watch along, that's the one that they show you. Uh, it has an opening scroll, which hers does not, which is very Star Wars. Uh, and very, again, I, I feel like a little pretentious. Um, just really trying to bring home the, the epicness of it all. But also, it has a scene where when Claire is home, she mentions to her mom, Sandra, that she's ready to know who her real parents are. So Claire is not biologically um, HRG and Sandra's uh, daughter. She has been adopted. That's going to matter later on. Yes. 
But in my version, <laughs> the adopted part is not mentioned at all. And I do not remember that being in the aired pilot originally either. It's got to be something that they wanted to put in in the pilot, I guess. And then they just were like, no, no, that's too much too fast. And then they reveal it later. Because they do reveal it later. They'll, they're going to mention it again. Like I said, it's really important. It connects her to other characters who we meet down the road. And it also lends to the idea about a lot of this being... Um, generational family is a really important thing in heroes it has been from the start i liked claire i liked her when i first watched her she was fine i, I liked her whole like oh my life is over thing because that that was that was true a, a teenager really would be like well that's it like i'm a freak now you know it's all, <laughs> all over when you know the big thing of it being like oh no her life really is all over her dad is like the you know He's know. the boogeyman. He's the boogeyman, potentially. And does he know? Maybe he already knows. Like, we don't know. That it, Yeah, it's just a fun little thing. Um, it's just nice. Like, all these little bits in the pilot are mostly just establishing the characters in their environments and their relationships and as people. And the powers are taking a second. Like, they're taking a seat to all of that. For the most part. It isn't until, like, about, like, the middle of the episode things really start going, like, oh, okay, this is what this person does, and this is how it affects them, and this is why it's interesting that this person can do this thing, and, you know, yeah, so. Yeah, so it's very, like, oh, you know, average high schooler, nope, she can't, it, it's, I don't know, it's, like, the whole thing about teenagers being so vulnerable, you know, it's such a vulnerable time of their lives, but you have one that can't get hurt. Like, that's a cool sentence, and that is an interesting concept to explore in the future. Can't be hurt physically anyway, of course. Can't be hurt physically, yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, because they say that she still feels pain, but she can heal. Like, don't they say that in later episodes? I think she says it in this one. I think she's like, yeah, it hurts, but, like, you know, So it's just, yeah, it's an interesting it. idea. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, yeah, you can just take that, like, blow it up to, like, a larger context. Like, you know, oh, like, being a teenager hurts, but you heal and you get through it. Her, her story is very metaphorical. I've always liked her power with her story in the beginning. It works very well in the beginning. I note how I keep saying in the beginning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she has an interesting arc as it goes on. Um, so, okay, so that is in Texas. And we're making a very big point. Uh, the show is making a very big point to be very global. The interesting thing and the cool thing about Heroes is that it is a very global enterprise. These characters are all over the place. Um, some of them don't even speak English. Um, they kind of get to do a lot of fun stuff with that, with characters who don't live in this country, um, who are not you know, American, who are international. And just really giving you a sense that it's happening not just in one place. Because a lot of times you can fall into that trap of being like, oh, you know, this is happening all over. This is everyone's, you know waking up with these powers or getting these powers. Um, but I always liked how Heroes was like, okay, well, this isn't just happening state to state. This is happening all over the place, and we're going to show you examples of that. And the arguable, like, star of the show in many ways in season one is one of these characters, and he is Hiro Nakamura in Japan. Yata! Yata! I gotta say, he's more endearing to me now rewatching it than he was to me by the end of things and I'm interested to see if I can hold on to that level of endearment because if they're okay I'm not cutting this if there's one character who gets fucked by this show it's Hiro Nakamura mm -hmm. that is true but I, I yeah mm -hmm. 
there is a dualness to hero that gets established rather quickly in season one. If you will like, um, I can't even remember which episode. It, good thing we're watching because I can't remember exactly which episode. Where we get, you know, the reveal of future hero. Where we see a darker hero in contrast to the hero that we meet in this episode. Who's just like, you know, a cubicle drone in Japan. Uh, office worker. Nerd. Um, doesn't seem to be anything that, you know, unique or special to Vodham right away. Because he's working in a very, like... A culture which, you know, is big on having cogs in a system, and you just need to stay that way. You don't need to stand out, but he wants more for himself, and he is one of the first characters to really embrace the idea of, no, I want to do this, I'm going to do this, and then he does it. When we first even see him, he's, like, immediately trying to be like, I can do something with time. And he's like, heck yeah, I'm gonna, like, stop this clock. Which is, like, a really funny way to first meet him. Because it's like, what gave him the idea that he even could? You know? We don't find out till later, you know, more of that. But it's just it's just interesting thing for him to be like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop time. You know? Like, he's he's being just, like yeah. Claire in the first episode. They're both experimenting, seeing what they can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're both um, characters who openly embrace or are willing to show what they can do. And that's not true of every character. I wouldn't They're say Claire conscious. openly embraces. No, but she's willing to show Zach. And I know that she's just like, oh, well, he's a loser. It doesn't matter. Like, if he tells anyone, which is, like, the subtext there. But um, <laughs> she's she's not all like, oh, I can't do this. No, she she's willing to experiment. And she has a partner in crime in this, just like Hero does with Ando. So. You can't have Hero without Ando. You can't have Hero without, without Ando, who <laughs> has an interesting character, let's say, in season one. <laughs> <laughs> He's real, he's real cliche a lot of the time. Yeah, so Hiro Nakamura thinks that he can control time and perhaps later space. We get to watch him as he tries to figure this out. And as, you know, his friend Ando is just like, you're crazy. You're a crazy person. And sure, sure, dude, you do that. But as we all know from later, uh, I tell you, the interesting thing about the show is not only do they adjust their big promotions to certain story arcs and moments. They were not shy about spoiling things in the promos for later episodes. Uh, I remember. Well, like, I feel like they had an ad that would just pretty much be like, hey, he did a time travel, or no, he um, teleported. And so you should watch this week to see what he does next. Yeah, he, They did, I think in the promotional for it, Heroes, like, big, like, yata moment was all over the show before. Yeah. Because he, uh, in the episode, he teleports from Japan to New York City, which is useful because, as I said before, that's where a lot of the action takes place. It's a very important location for season one. I think that Hero's teleportation is the one moment that they spoiled in all of the um, stuff leading up to it, Mm -hmm. unlike the HRG reveal or... uh... Something else. Yes, the other (laughs) thing we haven't talked about yet. Um... Oh, yeah. But that was one of the big things that they were like, look, this actually, you know, they exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because it was like, look, Claire can heal herself, and look, Hero can teleport himself. But it was nice that they did have other tricks up their sleeve, a big one uh, that I was not expecting, that you were not expecting, and that made us really want to tune in the next week, 24 be damned, in my case. Um, <laughs> did you record so... 24 the next week? 
I don't remember. I only, I seriously only remember that first episode because I remember all the stuff surrounding it. And I remember, you know what? I might have recorded Heroes a few weeks and then just been like, but I have to watch it right away. Like, it was just a thing. And then I know, the, God, ugh, in like the beginning of season one, for a very obvious reason, I started tuning in live um, around Homecoming, let's say. Um, so, um, <laughs> that's the funny thing about doing like a recap show, but not wanting to spoil a bunch of people, you know, ahead of time who might not be watching it uh, again, who might be watching it for the first time, is I have to sit here and be like, Maybe something happens around episode eight or nine that made me want to watch it live. And then, you know, I think it's okay to talk a little bit about it. But like, yeah, I'm, I try to I not want, be as spoilery as possible. I want to be really vague about that character in particular, because he's such a big fucking part of the shift in the show. He's a monumental part of the shift in the show. Oh, we'll talk about him plenty once. Oh, we will. We will. <laughs> but um, right now I want to leave him out of it. Because yeah. he's not involved. We haven't even met Parkman yet. And then another thing. Okay. Oh, yeah. Here's another thing that we get with Hero. Uh, we get the Ninth Wonders comic book. Get mm. used to seeing that around. Yes. Because not only is it going to be a recurring theme, a theme, symbol, throughout the show, it is, uh, it's a big part of the early merchandise. It's a big part of the web presence of the show. The message board that we talked about earlier is called the uh, Ninth Wonders board. It's big. It's big stuff. Uh, don't pay too much attention to the weird dude on the cover. He doesn't mean anything, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Uluru. Because, um, yeah, I don't know. He, he was like a real little nugget for the Lost type people, the people who liked Lost, to be like, what does it mean? And it's like, just like a Lost dude, it meant nothing. <laughs> it meant nothing. <laughs> they just... They gave you things to keep you tuning in, and you did. So, it's okay. We all did. But, yeah. J.J. Abrams is not interested in opening his puzzle boxes, just in creating them. Anyways. Um, now, did Hero yeah. have a comic? Because I think I wrote down the person who I first saw with the comic. And, again, this could be the version. It was Micah. Had oh, you're right. Micah has the comic. Uh, Hero has a screensaver. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so there you go. It's a character who's going to, like, you'll see the, the presence of Uluru, that's the name of the thing on the comic and the art, uh, show up a couple times. Don't get too carried away with it. It doesn't mean anything. But it means that, you know, it's just another fun character connection thing. You know, oh, the comics. The comics matter. Um, the show is a living comic book. That is its whole thing. Get past the pretension of how they present themselves in the pilot, how they present themselves through um, well, the first third of season one. Uh, the most successful thing about Heroes, and the thing that I will argue to my dying day, is that it is one of the most successful living comic books ever created. For good and for bad. If you are a comic book person, you know what I mean. You know that they tell different stories within the same arc, or a creator shift happens, and you get a different writer in the middle of it, and it totally becomes different. That's part of it. That's part of being into comics. And this show is like a perfect example of that. Because as they go on with their different volumes, their different stories, they're going to play with these characters in ways that will really resemble that particular form of media. And also they just do it a lot now with how they format any writing that they have on the show. The subtitles between Hero and Ando are very dynamic. They're very comic book bubbly. Um the writing of the show uh, 
the episode title, how it always appears is very like, you could just flip a page and that's how it would look on the layout. Yeah, that's one of my absolute favorite things about Heroes. I feel like they are one of the best examples of comic book media for good and for bad because you have to take both. They even call it like volumes and chapters. Exactly, exactly. They use the, the verbiage. So anyway, um, the first time we see, as Rachel correctly pointed out, the comic is with little Micah Sanders. And who is Micah and where do we meet him, Rachel? Micah is the son of Nikki, who we get to meet um, very suggestively. <laughs> as she yep. is a uh, cam girl mm-hmm. who lives in Vegas. And um, she's also connected, as we find out later, to ando as he is one of the ones watching her show (laughs) and i believe Mm -hmm. i don't believe they show it in this episode but later on we find out he is in fact the one that calls her a bitch when she's like he is yep you know pay up some more and he's like bitch all right (laughs) that is his uh his not so great debut once you realize (laughs) that you're like wow all right, your friend sucks, Hero. Like, he kind of sucks right now. Um, but it's okay. This is episode one. He will change. He will grow. They all will. Yes, everyone uh, grows. Everyone changes. Some for the better, some for the worse. Um, so, yeah, so Nikki is a cam girl. And she is being targeted by mobsters because she went to a loan shark and borrowed money to get Micah into a fancy school because he is very, very smart. One could say almost superhumanly so. Watching this, I found it so (laughs) funny because Micah is like so gifted with like, you know, electronics and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like cut forward like 10 years, there are a ton of children just like him. (laughs) Right. There's kids who are like three who know how to code. Yeah. While it was extraordinarily, like, you know, extraordinary at the mm-hmm. time, I feel like now it's not quite as extraordinary what we are mm-hmm. seeing. Like, oh, he's really good with, like, technology and taking things apart and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But yes, at the time, it was like, he's gifted. It's like a fun preview of what's to come because it's like, oh, cool, he can take apart a computer, he can build a computer or whatever. Lots of kids can do that. But then he'll do other things later. You're like, oh, okay. Yes. This is legit. Um, it, it, yeah, going back to the whole, like, playing with uh, our powers real maybe do all these people we're showing have them maybe you know because they're very they're very coy about that too they're like you know especially as the episode goes on they're like we could just be showing you people you know they might not all have something yeah i don't think in episode one really other than just like micah is like special and he you know Mm -hmm. he's good at what he does that we are in any way thinking that he has a power yeah, he's a he's a precocious young man who is with his mom, who's just she's just trying to do her best, you know. Um, I I always was was fine with Nikki. I wasn't like, I liked Allie Larder in things before this. I remember seeing her in the cast too and be like, oh, I've seen her in things. She's fine. And then yeah, Nikki. The interesting thing about Nikki is that she's presented as this character who you gotta tick all the boxes, you know, like. Where's where is our sex appeal? What's gonna get the young men tuning in? Oh, I know this <laughs> hot blonde, you know. But that's how she's presented, and they flip that on its head as the episode goes, and that's what makes her very interesting as a character is her secret and her maybe power. Yeah, throughout the episode, we see her looking mm-hmm. at a mirror and kind of like you know, mm-hmm. we're like, well, what is she? What is she seeing? And then we end the episode with her waking up to mm-hmm. dead bodies. Yep. These uh, enforcers come in. They're going to break her legs, so to speak. And because uh, she can't pay back the mysterious Linderman, whose name will also become very important later on. 
very important um, to season one and beyond, really. Um, but right now, he's just the mobster who she borrowed money from, and, well, that doesn't always end well, does it? So she's trying to pay him back, and a couple of thugs come to her door. She escapes the first time, the second time, not so lucky. And they corner her, and you're like, oh, great, violence against women, here we go. You know? <laughs> like, that's 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 really what, what I thought back then. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, this... this gotta do this this poor girl's gonna get you know beaten and someone's gonna come in and save her no untrue she's gonna save herself and that's what's really cool about the nikki storyline um i don't want to say too much about what's to come with it but i like that she's a literal strong female character you'll we'll get to that but right now she's horrified um by what she has woken up to she's confused and that's kind of how we leave off with her we don't know what's gonna happen with her just yet like so. several of the other characters we've talked about, she seems to also have known something. Seems to be talking to no one. Like, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. When she's looking in the mirror. So it's like she has experienced something seemingly before this. Like Hero. Like Claire. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the, I think that's kind of the fun thing about how Genesis is. Is we're, we're sort of diving into these characters in the middle of them figuring it out. Um, for the most part. Like, it's not just... We're not at the start. They're, they're already, they already have suspicions that they're working with, that something is different or has changed within them. Yeah, we're not here for the spider bite. And, and yeah, plus um, the, the show really has decent special effects, and they hold up pretty okay. I, I loved the whole thing with her in the mirror and the mirror doing different stuff. I'm such a sucker for that. Like, oh, the reflection's looking a different way, or it's smirking, or, you know. What's going on? Like, there's so many possibilities there. Uh, in terms of her power, that uh, I, I admit I didn't quite uh, I didn't quite see what was going to come before it came. Like I didn't quite see how her power presents itself. I just was like, oh, there's another version of her. Like what's what's going on? Like what's uh, it's like a mind thing, you know? Yeah, I just wasn't sure. So it's interesting when you get your confirmation about what she can actually do and uh, why we're seeing another person in reflections and such. And I believe, like Hero, she had a lot in the promos leading up to the show. Mm -hmm. Because she's the hot blonde. I mean, like, I hate to be very, you know, just minimize that. But that was how she was presented. She was the eye candy character. They didn't have one other than her, like, traditionally speaking. So, you know, you know, some network person was like, well, we need to have her and all the stuff. Or the men won't watch. Yeah. <laughs> like, I believe the moment where she, like, the bloody mirror with the shush... Was in the big um, time. Mm -hmm. Was in the um, stuff before the show aired. I'd love to try to find the old promos. I don't know if they exist on YouTube anymore, but I'm really going to try to find them. I'd like to. See I'm sure they, they do. We probably should have looked it up before. <laughs> I know. I had this. I had this thought like a week ago, but I'm dumb and I didn't. So, um, yeah. So that's Nikki and her son Micah, who are also again family. Family's a big part of the show a big part of season one in particular but i feel like okay so we've talked about all those characters let's let's meet a couple of brothers over again in new york who couldn't be more different but who come from a very established family it would seem let's talk about the petrellis who the petrellis. also have a connection to nikki in this episode immediately uh-huh, uh-huh. In that when we meet Nathan, he's talking about Linderman. He's talking about the mysterious Linderman. 
The very mm-hmm. same, the loan shark that gave Nikki money, which gives you quite an idea about Nathan's character. If he 100%. is has business with these shady people. Has business with these shady people and ba ba he's a politician. He's running for office. That's who he is as a character. He's gonna do whatever he has to do to win. It's very clear right away. He's gonna deal with people like that. He's gonna try to minimize the damage done by his wacky mother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna try to keep his his obnoxious brother from ruining all of this with his talk about flying. He is a shark, Pete. <clears throat> he is a shark. He is an yeah. asshole. <laughs> and we love him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> because, okay, so the thing is, in the first episode, they don't establish a villain, per se. I mean, yeah, you've got HRG running around being weird and mysterious. That's a thing. And potentially dangerous. But you see a character like Nathan. You hear how he talks to his family. You hear how he treats other people. You know that he's got all these ambitions. And that this this whole thing, this weird thing, that ain't gonna work for him. He's just got this, like, smarm about him. This just real arrogance where you're just like, this guy could be trouble. And that's intriguing. Because you need those characters of conflict. It can't all just be internal conflict. They have to, you know have characters who get in the way of other characters and i felt right away i was like oh nathan could be that guy because he just wants to be normal so like claire like claire don't need i don't have time for this yeah like this is just this is shenanigans and i'm not into it and i will not have you people ruining my chances for greatness these people being his actual family that's the (laughs) guy that he is so um yeah nathan petrelli is running for, was it Congress? I believe it's Congress, yes. Okay, he's running for Congress. Um, and in the great state of New York. Um, again, important part of the show, important location. And we meet him at his offices, preparing his campaign and working on all that, when his brother Peter comes in and <laughs> he's he's got some interesting theories, let's say, based on some dreams he's been having. <laughs> Um, he thinks he can fly. He thinks he can fly, which is like crazy person one on one. He thinks he can fly. To so. be fair, if my sister came up to me and like, "Yo, I had a dream. I totally oh my God. can fly." Oh I'd my god! Like, right? <laughs> Shut the hell up! I can't. I can't hate on Nathan because not only does he react the proper way in a you know this isn't a world right now where it's like yeah some people can fly. No, it's just the regular world. So for his brother to come up, a brother who we are, um, I guess, like, clued into the fact that he's a dreamer, he's very head in the clouds, he's kind of not really got it all together in life in a way that someone of that family perhaps should, someone like a Nathan. He's very empathetic, he's very emotional, he's very sensitive. He's nothing like Nathan in these regards. Um, But yeah, we get the sense that he's kind of the fuck-up brother. He's the black sheep. Of this prestigious family. Of this rich family. But he's a sweet boy. So he's not like a bad black sheep. He's just kind of embarrassing. Doesn't really have it all together. Because he's in like his, like, what? What would we say Peter was at the start of this? Like mid-20s? Late-20s? Something like that, yeah. He doesn't have it together. And his family is just kind of tired of patting him on the head. And Nathan in particular is like, okay. This has gone out of hand. Mm. He's a hospice nurse. 
he is working with a man who I don't know if they've named him yet, but we know his name. It's Charles DeVoe. He is fostering a crush on Charles's daughter, Simone, who we meet as well. So that, you know, to, to tick all the boxes again, you've got like, you know, the, the, the teen, you got the teens hooked with the Claire story. You got the hot girl. So the guys will watch, you know, and then now you obviously have a romantic storyline you hope so yeah you meet peter and uh and he's taking care of charles and simone you know is is around and um i i hate <laughs> i i still she leaves me cold she left me cold as a character back then she still does now um but she brings us to other interesting characters and causes other interesting conflicts down the line um because she introduces us to her actual boyfriend who is Isaac Mendez? Who we've almost talked about a little bit because he is the artist behind Ninth Wonders. He is the artist behind Ninth Wonders, which I always thought was really interesting. Um, like, I don't know. I just I, that that part of the story was always weird to me. I was always like, really, this guy? Like comic books. Knowing what I know now about it too is just like you have to be on top of things to work in that industry and he is not on top of things it um, is really wild thinking about it because mm-hmm. yeah he's like this big painter but at the same time yeah he's a heroin addict and he is he is a heroin addict um he's a torture genius he's very that um but he, he yeah he paints these these amazing um like actual like canvas paintings and he also apparently does the artwork for a comic book which I could see would be like his money gig, but um, potentially, or maybe even not. Like, I don't know. It, it it feels like the show is trying to do too much to like keep him involved, other than just the prophetic paintings. Like, oh yeah, he, he also it. does the comic. Yeah, trying to stretch it. I guess is a good way to say it because it doesn't it doesn't work. It just doesn't work now. Especially you're like he can't. What what time does he have to do this? Like, it's really just a way for the show to be like, hey. Do you know why the comics look like the paintings? Because the same guy did them outside of the show. His name is Tim Sale. He is an artist. He's a comic book artist. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, Isaac Mendez, tortured artist, um, heroin addict, uh, lover of Simone, um, foil for Peter in this regard later on. Uh, yeah, he can paint the future. He's not happy about it when we first meet him. Not even a little bit. He's, He's... one of those characters who's like, nope to this throwing black over his paintings like the mm-hmm. first painting we see him destroy is one where like a hand is holding a glass that's bubbling he drew a bus explosion exactly as it happened we later see he drew the um train derailment that claire saved a fireman from or i guess it wasn't a fireman that she saved she saved someone from the train <laughs> he was like the conductor wasn't he he was like on the train he was on the train i don't know who it was though Okay. I've heard different things. Like, I've seen it written different ways. But yeah, she saved someone from the train derailment. That's her big hero moment. But yeah, he painted it. Um, so it immediately establishes a really fun, engaging, and uh, great connecting device for the show um, to instantly hook an audience to be like, what's in that painting? What's going to happen? What does that mean? Well, you know. We, we don't have any context for this. This character's going to do that? Holy crap. Like, it, it really goes further in uh, teasing. And, I mean, Easter eggs, I can't express enough how big of a deal having Easter eggs on your television show was post-Lost. It was a huge fucking deal. It was everything. They changed the game in a lot of ways for that. 
you wanted um, people to look back and pause and be like, oh, look, they yep. right here. Planting little breadcrumbs was just so important for shows like this. And that was the one of the biggest functions of Isaac Mendez as a character was he created these paintings that would let you know what was going to happen on the show and make you keep guessing and want to get you to tune in next week to see in what context is this happening? Because context was a big thing. It was like, okay, this person could be standing over this person's dead body, but we need to know the whole picture and they also might not be dead and that it also might be different than it looks like. And yeah. He plants one hell of a breadcrumb before the episode is over. Mm-hmm. That carries us through the entire first season, which is he paints a nuclear explosion in New York. In New York. The city's getting destroyed. And we don't know why. We don't know how it happens. We don't know anything. We just know, as he says, we've got to stop it. So that's going to carry us through season one. But the function that he has in Peter's story is when Peter is called by Simone to try to help Isaac, who's freaking out and, you know, having his whole thing. Peter's a nurse and he has the medical training to assist, you know, an addict. He happens to see a painting that looks like himself flying. And that's all he needs to go actually try to make it happen because that's that's it's such okay i could go on for so long about peter's whole i think i can fly story in the first episode and how it goes and how it means just it it tells you so much about him as a character not just what people say about him being like a like a silly dreamer he is filled with faith in the beginning he is absolutely the character to take the leap of faith he's absolutely the guy who believes in things enough that he'll go up onto a roof and jump off of it because not only are the dreams convincing but he's seen it now somebody drew it it's a thing it's obviously got to be true he's a believer peter's a believer that's his whole thing he's a sweet boy that's going to be tested heavily as as the show goes on (laughs) heavily um from various sources, his own family, outside influences, um, the world, institutions. But for right now, he's just a boy with a dream and a plan. And he is going to fly, damn it. He's going to do it. Yes, yeah, so before he tries to take the leap of faith, uh, Mohinder uh, ends up in New York. And he ends up uh, in his father's old job and his father's old apartment. Because he's just going to he's gonna insert himself into the life that he left behind. Just try to see what happened. And what he might have found out that people are trying to cover up or, you know, what got him killed? What got Chandra Suresh killed? Which is, you know, a choice, not the choice from a hinder to make to just put himself in the exact same position in, in a country that he's very vulnerable in. And he, too, is very passionate. He is also a believer um, in a different way. He, there's a bit of arrogance there, you have to admit. It's kind of the meeting between science and faith. Yes. In the cab. And later on in the series as well, it is sort of a science versus faith. It is not. I hate to keep mentioning Lost, but you can't really talk about early heroes without talking about Lost. They were like siblings in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's it's very, it's very like faith versus science. It's, it's not quite Jack versus Lost. So they meet in the cab. They have this really nice little moment where uh, <laughs> Peter gives this really great speech about how, you know, he wanted to what does he say about like he thinks that he could be somebody or that he thinks that he could be special or you know what does he say he has like this whole really great thing that he says that is like iconic to the show oh like when he's on the roof no when he's in the cab when he's in the cab 
because they they will reference it in later seasons when uh, Peter and Mohinder end up in a cat like, again. Do you later. ever feel like you're meant for something more, or that you're something yeah, special? Yeah, yeah, there's something special. And and Mohinder just looking at him like, oh my god, crazy white people. But as he keeps talking, they have this little moment where it's like, I don't know, they have this like little connective moment as the eclipse occurs above them which is like a big part of the show and uh we didn't mention it but it also leads to the mystery man with the glasses ending up in the same cab as mohinder as well so mohinder is courting danger from day one and it is not gonna stop for him (laughs) he's gonna (laughs) he's gonna go through it um throughout the entire show (laughs) he's gonna go through it i'm really i'm really interested to talk more about mohinder he has such an interesting journey throughout the show like he really does he kind of gets to be all of the different roles in a way that a lot of characters don't um which we'll talk more about later i don't want to spoil things he definitely gets to experience a lot of perspectives that not everybody does but yeah so peter peter ends up at the end of the episode on a rooftop and he calls nathan because we get we get the sense that despite the fact that nathan's like oh my wacky brother and uh they're very close you can just tell from their body language and how you know nathan wants to help peter even if it's a kind of a controlling way um they're very very close they're very close siblings and so they are there for each other i think ultimately nathan gets a call from peter who he finds on a rooftop ready to jump because he's sure he saw the painting he's had the dreams this is destiny this is real he's gonna do it what happens when peter tries to do it peter jumps and nathan Mm -hmm. flies nathan flies nathan flies He's the one who can fly. He flies up, catches his brother. They both kind of go down. But for a moment, they're both up there holding, like, in embrace. It's such a great, like, thing to really show how close they are and how important family is in the show. Is they're, like, embracing in air, doing this impossible thing together that one can't do without the other. That was the moment where I was like, okay, I'll see you next week. You've got me. Yes, and then, you know, Nathan drops him. Mm -hmm. He loses his grip, and then it's to be continued. Which, oh, man. You could just... The metaphor there, you know? What what happens when the brothers aren't together? Nothing good. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So. Oh, yeah. To be continued. Um... Which is how they end all of their episodes, you find out later on. It's always, like, to be continued. It's very that. Um, it's supposed to be, like, you know, the next chapter. You know, you have to... You, you gotta buy the next issue. Way. Gotta buy the next issue to see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that was that moment. Uh, there were plenty of things I liked about the first episode. The irony being that the person who I watched the show for wasn't even in the first episode. I was like, <laughs> where's Greg Grunberg? Isn't he part of this? Um, but... Uh, that was the thing. That was the thing where I was like, oh, you you got me. And, and it's funny because if you watch it again now, they don't, like, tease you at all that Nathan's going to be the one to do it. They're very firm in the fact that he is absolutely normal and his family is going crazy after their dad died. And he just can't with this. And he has other things to focus on. They do a slight tease if you watch it back because in one of the dreams after Peter sees himself jumping, it's like Nathan standing down there smirking at him. Sure, sure, but... But yeah, like, it, it's yeah. a complete shock. Complete shock that that happens. Yeah. 
you don't think he's gonna fly. You just think like, oh, you know, Nathan's in the dream because they're close, and he's the one who's like, he's talking to a lot about it, and the one who doubts him. Uh, do we really want to? We can mention Angela a little bit. She just sh- sort of shows up as the eccentric um, matriarch of the family. We just all we really hear about from her is that. Her husband died, so Nathan and Peter's father is no longer with us. Um, I think it's been six months, they said. Six Mm -hmm. months since he died. It's been about that. That's like their favorite span of time, by the way, on this show, is six months. Um, (laughs) They they love that. It's a good good chunk of time. Um, So she's acting out. She's stealing things. um, Getting arrested. Trying to cause a ruckus. Trying to get attention, like Peter said. Uh, Christine Rose is a big part of why Angela is so interesting at first, because she's great casting. She's such a, a, a lovely presence, and um, and she slaps Peter, which is iconic, because um, <laughs> he's just he's just talking out of his ass, and she just has to stop him, and it's great. Um, I just I just love it. She's just like, oh, you're you, and then it's smack, and then you know. I remember we all talked about that a lot back in the day. Well, Peter slaps, so we don't really know too much about her right now. We don't. Yeah, she's just the mom. She's the mom character of these two guys. But she's going to become really important later on, so keep your eye on her. She's going to become a big fucking deal later on. It is also apparent, too, though, that she and Peter have a connection of some sort. Yes. He seems to be the favored son, even though Nathan is also the bigger deal. Isn't that funny? Like, it seems like Peter genuinely is loved more in traditional ways especially from his mom you can tell um i don't know if they say much about it but it's it's obvious now knowing what we know that peter and arthur were not close but uh yeah nathan he again he ticks all the boxes of what you want from that type of um older son especially from that sort of uh very well-known family very well-to-do family um he did everything right you know he We'll find out later on. I don't want to be all like, I'm going to tell you everything about Nathan and we're going to find out. But, you know, he he graduated correctly. He went to the military correctly. Now he's in politics, which is the path that he's supposed to be on, he thinks. Because, you know, that's just how it is for the for the son in a family like that who's been bred to be very ambitious. Which is obviously, now that we... You know, later on we'll find out more about his dad and how he grew up. It's such a big thing about, like, Arthur's influence. But also, you know, Angela has a a role to play in that as well because of who she is and maybe what she can do. I mean, maybe. maybe. (laughs) We don't know. She's just the stock stock thief right now. Let's act like all the characters don't have powers pretty much. (laughs) Spoilers. Oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> Thanks for listening. Next time on Eclipsed, Hero explores New York, Peter gets gaslit by his family, won't be the last time, Mohinder makes a new friend, and we get to meet a Los Angeles police officer investigating a crime scene that no ordinary human could be responsible for. See you then. <laughs>